Well, I want to start this message with a question for you. Um, so think about it. Take your time. Who's the worst sinner you know? Do not say it out loud. <laughs> Who is the worst sinner you know? Who comes to mind? And now uh, a good follow-up question. Why did you pick them? Again, not out loud. Why do they qualify to be the worst sinner you know? And the curiosity is killing me. Anybody pick yourself? Oh, there are several. That's good. <laughs> now, I, I thought whenever I was preparing this, because I had a little extra time and advantage here knowing that question was coming, because uh, I picked myself as well, but the words that came to my mind were the words the Apostle Paul wrote to a young protege, Timothy, one time, where he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the biggest sinner of all. And I thought, who's the biggest sinner Brian knows? And the, the key words for me became that I know. Because you see, I know, I know my sins. I know mine yesterday. I know the ones today. I know the ones I'm most likely to sin today, later, or tomorrow. I don't necessarily know that much about your sins or everybody else's sins, but I know mine, which if nothing else qualifies me as the worst sinner I know. And it gives some real meaning to these words from Jesus we're exploring together as we turn the page to Matthew chapter 7, the final section of his famous Sermon on the Mount. I read these words last week. Let's add a few to them this week. He says, don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt out to you. And then he uses a little, I like to think he's using a little humor here. Why do you see the splinter that's in your brother's or sister's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother and sister, let me take that splinter out of your eye? When there's a log in your eye, you deceive yourself. First, take the log out of your eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's or sister's eye. And just imagine him having this conversation with people from the neighborhood, people from the community, people that he knew. And he's trying to point out something that to Jesus is incredibly obvious, but we miss it so easily over and over. And that's why we're just resting here at this little section of the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks to start 2024 because we're human and apparently humans need to lean in on Jesus' concept of no judgment. And there may not be a more important subject for us to give our attention to our wrestle with this year than that one. Judgment simply permeates the way the world works, doesn't it? Yeah, it's everywhere. And sometimes we're the ones giving it. All of us know what it's like to receive that kind of judgment, which is no fun either. And it shows up in all kinds of places, but I know you're already thinking this, so I'm just going to name it. Because one of the places that are most apparent to us, I think, uh, and especially now uh, in an election year, is the political climate, right? Where a lot of pundits and commentators and candidates, and this is from both sides of the aisle, they just want us to notice how repulsive and disgusting and pathetic all those people are over there. And of course, how good and upstanding and righteous we are, right? Because we're the right ones. And again, this comes from both directions. And the message is don't even consider getting to know one of those other people. Don't engage with them. Don't find out what makes them tick. Don't see them as human. See them as subhuman. Avoid them at all costs. You get too close to them, you're liable to become like one of them. That's the kind of sometimes overt, often subtext 
information we deal with, and it goes from politics to almost every other area of life. Religion has its own. Somebody share with me that their answer to last week's question would have, about uh, who, who's, who do you tend to judge or feel most judgmental towards? Their answer was judgmental churchgoers, right? And that happens a lot too, right? So it's everywhere in our culture. And then Jesus has the audacity to show up and say, don't judge, so you won't be judged. Whatever. This is a really big idea, and it raises another good question for me that kind of goes with that first question I asked. Who's the best Christian you know? Do not, again, call them out or point to them. Who's the best Christian you know? And why? Why'd you pick that person? By the way, I've heard all kinds of answers to that second question over the years. Why someone thinks someone else is a good Christian. But I'm proposing today that the person we most ought to learn from is Jesus, and he's quite clear about this. He says, this is how everyone will know you're my disciples, when you, what? Mm. He's relentless on this. He says, love is the distinguishing mark of my people. This is how we know love. 1 John 3, 16, Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is what love looks like. The good news that I proclaimed last week to kind of get us started on this conversation is that everything depends on disciples who will learn from Jesus how to love like Jesus and live as Jesus. Everything depends on that. And such disciples, Jesus is telling us right now, will resist a culture of division and judgment since we cannot love and judge others at the same time. And friends, that is about as countercultural an idea right now as anyone that I know, even among Christians who bought into this lie that judging other people really isn't that bad. I mean, everybody does it, which sometimes makes me wonder if we really believe that loving like Jesus is all that good, or if it's all that important. A pastor on my Facebook feed posted uh, last week, I think it was, our Christianity should sound like the world is full of neighbors to be understood and loved, not the world is full of enemies to be feared and conquered. And that challenges sometimes the way I think we think we, we perceive or think about or engage with other people. Entertain this thought with me for a moment. What would the world look like if every Christian took Jesus seriously on just one thing? There are lots of things, I know. But if we could just start with one, and every Christian said, I don't know if I'm going to get all the other stuff right, but we're going to get that right. Let's love each other the way Jesus loves us. Would that not be a revolutionary idea? What if the thing you believed more than anything else in the world was this? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We sang about it earlier. What if just that piece of good news was the most important bedrock of your entire life and faith? What would it change if every Christian were there? Well, I want us to drill down on that a little bit again today, and we'll be doing it again for the next few weeks as our team takes on the words of Jesus here. But occasionally, 
for these first few weeks, we're going to divert from the Sermon on the Mount for a moment, and we're going to see the same thing crop up in other important places in Scripture. This, it ought to be enough that Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's really interesting to me that it keeps showing up. This is a recurring theme. It's apparently so important. And so today, we're going to listen to one of Jesus' prayers. I want you to imagine as I read this that you're sitting in the circle with Jesus, and you hear him praying these words, because there were some folks who did a little over 2,000 years ago. And his buddy John captured the prayer for us. And it's one of the most intimate conversations we hear from Jesus with his father. Here's what he prays. I'm not praying only for them, meaning the people who are in that first circle, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. That's bringing us into the circle. I pray they will be one. Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you, I pray that they also will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one just as we are one. I'm in them and you're in me so that they will be made perfectly one. And then the world will know that you sent me and that you've loved me. You've loved them just as you loved me. I've made your name known to them. I will continue to make it known, Father, so that your love for me will be in them. I myself will be in them. Wow. Now, first of all, it's a pretty big thing for me to put my head around the fact that Jesus was praying for us more than 2,000 years ago while he's walking around on this earth. That's pretty amazing. But then this particular prayer it's beautiful. It's huge. And it, it has so much good news in it that I want to proclaim to us today. God's love, my friends, is directed to us. It's dwelling in us. It's flowing through us back to God, to ourselves, to others, and to all of creation. As the much-loved children of God, we become an unstoppable source of God's love that changes our world. This is what God has always dreamed. It is the point of everything. This is really, really big. So let me break it down just a little bit to kind of help us kind of walk out of here and go, yeah, man, I think there really, there might be something to that, okay? First, we notice in this prayer that the nature of God is love. He says, I pray that there'll be one, Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you, and church tradition teaches about this idea of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they give themselves to each other, they open themselves fully to each other to the point that they dwell in each other. Now, this is a really big idea. It's one of the biggest theological challenges for all of us to get our heads around of God, one God in three persons, right? But this idea that this one God in three persons functions as one is a significant component of that idea. It is also remarkable that Jesus says his desire is that we would experience that same indwelling love that they have in the Trinity. We dwell, dwell in Christ. Christ dwells in God. We get to participate in and reflect the love of God in our world. This is so inherent to what it means to know God that John says, catch this, the person who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. <laughs> Say, God is love. God's love. It's huge. And God's love is directed to us. It is dwelling in us. It's flowing through us, back to God, to ourselves, to others, to all of creation. 
We are the much-loved children of God, amen? And as God's much-loved children, we get to become an unstoppable source of God's love that changes our world. This, friends, is what God has always dreamed, always been up to. It is the point of everything. That's how essential this is. Now, I noticed as we were singing a little earlier, um, it was a fantastic song, so it doesn't fit into this category I'm about to touch on, but I was thinking about this next point I wanted to make out of Jesus' prayer as we were singing a while ago about the glory of God, you know, being revealed. The glory of God is love, friends, okay? That's not always the way it gets taught out, but Jesus says, I've given them the glory you gave me so that they can be one just as we are one. Now, sometimes the way this gets taught is that the glory of God is his power. And in that sense, meaning his omnipotence, that God is all powerful, that God gets all the glory and that anybody who competes with God's glory, that's not a good thing if you're encroaching on God's glory, which is kind of weird because that's not what Jesus prays here at all. He says, I'm giving them the glory, God, that you gave me. That's kind of wild. In John's gospel, which is where we're reading this prayer, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as the point when the Father is most glorified is when Christ is hanging on a cross because Christ hanging on the cross most reveals what kind of Father he is, what kind of God he is, his character, his nature. He's this kind of God. We haven't always known what God was like, but now we do. Turns out he's just like Jesus. He's always been like Jesus. And this is when God gets the most glory, is when Jesus shows the world finally and fully, this is what the Father is like. That's why we can sing that song. Shame doesn't have any place here in the Father's house because he's this kind of Father, this kind of God. This is amazing, my friend. Love, as I said to you last week, and if you missed last week, go back and catch up on it. It was a good fundamental start to this whole subject. Love looks like Jesus on a cross. Theologically, we call this cruciform love. Love that ascribes worth to another at cost to oneself. Boom. Jesus captures that for us. The glory of God, don't ever forget this. The glory of God is the love of God revealed in Jesus, full stop. The Father gives this glory to Jesus and Jesus gives this glory to us so we can fully participate in God's love. I have good news for you today. God's love, it's directed to us dwelling in us. God's love is flowing through us. And that love flows through us back to God, to ourselves. If God loves me this much, I can love me this much. <laughs> to others and to all of creation. We as the much-loved children of God get to become an unstoppable source of God's love that changes our world. This is what the Father has always dreamed. This is the point of everything. It's huge. It's so simple. It's so good. We give God glory when we participate in God's love. I'm in them, you're in me, so that they will be made perfectly one. Notice, operative word. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you have loved me. 
Jesus says, I'm reflecting the Father's love by sacrificing everything to include them. And friends, we reflect the Father's love when we sacrifice to include everybody else. Amen? That's what it looks like to give God glory. In other words, people will see the glory of God when they see us reflecting his other-oriented, self-sacrificial love. When that love, this love, shows up in the world now through us, people see that. They see the glory of God. They may become convinced that Jesus is real. There's something to this because it's so counterintuitive, so countercultural, and it's beautiful. This is how the world will come to believe. This is how God's glory will get put on display in all of creation. If you would indulge me for a moment or two, I'll clarify something else. God's glory is not put on display when we take a stand. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there aren't times to take a stand. I'm saying that's not how God gets glory. God doesn't get glory when we point out how wrong all those people are and how right we are, how bad they are, and how good we are. Whatever that is, that's not giving glory to God. What gives glory to God and what convinces the world that God is real, that Jesus was the real deal, is when we show the world this kind of love in real ways through our actual lives. Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. Policies matter. Platforms matter. Politicians matter. All kinds of other things matter. Sometimes we have to figure out what we believe about what somebody's saying or who might deserve a vote and so forth. Those are important conversations and they matter. But you know what should never happen? They should never require us to dehumanize people to get that job done. Amen? What would it look like if, as Jesus asks, we were to put the brakes on judgment and we would just decide, we can't answer for anybody else, but if we're gonna be God's people, we're gonna have to begin living, as Jeremiah said a moment ago, begin living like this good news is actually true. God's love is directed to us. It's dwelling in us, flowing through us, back to God, to others, to ourselves, to all of creation. Listen, friends, this is amazing. We get to become an unstoppable source of God's love in our world. This is what the Father always dreamed. This is the point of everything. Can you imagine someday when the God who is love will be refracted through the cosmos of the whole creation because we participated in his glory? What will that day be like? This, friends, is the vision Jesus keeps hammering away at in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the vision he prays for in this beautiful, intimate prayer. And I got to tell you, this vision is the thing that captures my heart more than any other thing these days. I can't stop thinking about it. I think about our church family entering this brand new year. I don't even know what 2024 will hold. Goodness knows the last several have held all kinds of challenges we never saw coming. But I think about this this year, I think about all of the opportunities there may be in this year, and there is one thing that will not let my heart go. Believe me, some days I've tried to let it loosen its grip on me. 
But I keep asking myself, what if every Heitzer were committed more than to anything else in the world? What if every Heitzer wanted more than anything? Just help me learn from Jesus how to love like Jesus and live as Jesus. What if that was the deepest desire of all of our hearts? What could happen? What if we knew more than we know anything else in the world? We are the much-loved children of God. I don't get it. (laughs) I can't account for it completely, but I believe it. I trust it. What if we were so convinced that we're God's loved children, we couldn't stop that love from overflowing out of our lives if we tried? What would happen? Listen to me, friends. I cannot shake the deep conviction that this is what God still wants for his people and that God's people living full on in God's wonderful love is the hope for everything and everyone. That fuels my life. I think it fuels many of yours. I think it's why it fueled you to come here on a really cold January morning because something deep inside of you says, I do think there's something to that. I do think that's what we're up to in the world. And that is what we're up to in this church, my friends. We're we're betting everything on this. Did you notice what Jesus kept repeating? I've given them the glory you gave me. You've loved them just as you've loved me. Your love for me will be in them. Again, I cannot fully get my head wrapped around that, but here's what I know it is saying. God does not hold his nose and like me because he has to. What love I have from God is not some watered-down, second-rate love. God loves us with the very same love he has for Jesus. What? Really, like, if our heads got wrapped around that, we'd suck all the oxygen out of this room right now, wouldn't we? We'd be like, that is amazing. Listen to me, friend, listen to me. You can never be more loved than you are in this moment right now. No matter what you've done, who you are, where you've been, how badly you've screwed up your life, how much you regret screwing up somebody else's, how much you say you hate God, God loves you. End of conversation. As much as he loves Jesus, God loves you. (laughs) I've got good news for you on this cold January Sunday. If this can't warm our hearts, I don't know anything that will. God's love is directed to you. It is dwelling in you. It can flow through you, back to God, to other people, to your own messed up, broken, sinning self, (laughs) and to all of creation. We get to be the much-loved children of God, and then we can become an unstoppable source of his love that changes our world. This is what God has always dreamed. It's the point of everything. Go get him, Chuck. (laughs) He's got to go preach some good news today. Love you, man. Listen, the only thing that could keep you from experiencing this love is whether or not you choose to begin living as if it's true. That's it. You get to choose whether to surrender to God's love or not. Before you leave, I'd like for us to take a chance to practice a little exercise together that's incredibly meaningful for me. I wanna give it to you. I think for some of you in this room, this is gonna be a gift. I really do believe that. So. Um, Humor me for a moment, and let's do this together, and then we'll send you out there to see if your car's okay? (laughs) 
Maybe bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment would be helpful. I want you to imagine the person right now that you feel the most affection for in the world, just right now in this moment. I know you love all your kids and grandkids equally. I know you don't want to have to choose. We're not playing head games. Just play along with me and think of the one person right now you feel especially warm toward in your circle of family or friends. Just pick one. I'm going to go with my littlest granddaughter, Amelia Bedelia, I call her. That sweet little face with those long eyelashes. You all know I love all my grandkids dearly. But in this moment, I'm seeing Amelia's face. I'm remembering at the ball game on Thursday night where she was sitting with me and we were laughing about all kinds of things when she looked up at me and she said, Papa, do you like to laugh? <laughs> I thought, I guess I do like to laugh. She said, you do funny stuff a lot. Just seeing myself through her eyes did something really sweet to my heart at that ball game. And so that's who I'm thinking of right now. Who are you thinking of? What's the last thing you did together? What's the last time you saw them? Maybe some moment when you thought your heart would just burst with love for them. Or, or maybe there's something so special and unique about them that... <laughs> It just brings you particular delight every time you see them. You got them in mind? Now I want you to replace that person you're looking at with you. And I want you to imagine that God is looking at you with that same kind of love right now. The same kind of delight I just had in Amelia for me to imagine God's looking at Brian just like that. And you. I cannot imagine loving anybody more than I love Amelia Bedelia, that's for sure. But the truth is, God loves me billions of times more than I love that sweet little girl. Just let yourself relish and delight in knowing all the love in the universe is being held for you, friend, right now in this moment. <laughs> I know, I know there's that other little voice in your head telling you that has to be too good to be true. And that's why I said you have to choose. You get to choose which voice you're going to listen to. I just wanted you to remember today that the cross of Jesus says that God loves you more than you could ever imagine, that you have unsurpassable worth to him. What if you chose to surrender to that love right now? What if you got up out of that seat in a few minutes and you walked out into this cold world and you began living like you are the most loved person on planet earth? Friends, the kingdom of love runs on that surrender. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for these dear people. <laughs> thank you so much for the chance to be together in one gathering, Lord. If the, if the circumstances are unfortunate, our hearts, Lord, are a little heavy today for people who are suffering more from this weather even than we are. For those, Lord, who are serving us in our community and beyond to help make things better for those who are least fortunate. 
Lord, all those things are on our minds today. But Lord, I pray that in this moment, one thing would so capture our hearts, we could not escape it this whole week. That we are so deeply loved by you. You delight in us. <laughs> Lord, I pray that we'd, we'd live this week like that's true. We'd hold our heads a little higher. We'd offer our hands and feet to serve others a little more readily. That our hearts would grow 10 times <laughs> in size because we're so captured by your love. Thank you for directing it to us, letting it dwell in us, letting it flow through us. May it flow to the world this week so that everyone will see your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who gave us this gift. And everybody said, amen. Now imagine with me, what if that wasn't just a little exercise you did at church on Sunday, that day it was so cold outside. What if you practiced that every day this week? What if you got, what if you practiced it one time this week? Just stopped and thought, who is the person I'm feeling most warmly affectionate to in this moment? And then remembered, God's love for me is so much bigger than that, I can't even get my head around it. I am so loved. <laughs> Friends, that's the fuel of God's kingdom. You get to decide if you'll surrender to it or not. But we can't be an unstoppable source of God's love if we don't first decide to live as the much-loved children of God. Once you do, once it ever captures your heart and imagination, and every day you let it happen to you again, every moment you surrender to that love afresh, the world shifts a little in the direction of God's dream coming true. Because this is the point of everything. Living loved is the point of everything. And that is the best news you've ever heard. Amen? Such good news. All right. So I think that's a theme that runs behind this idea of no judgment is probably first, we got to decide if we're going to live as God's much loved children. And once we know how dearly loved we are, it's a lot easier to start paying that love forward to somebody else, you know, even if you have that temptation to judge them. So we'll pick this up again next week. We'll talk about it for a few more weeks. And uh, I think this theme is going to resonate with us for some time to come. And I think it's a gift to all of us. It has been to me already just preparing uh, these talks so far. So would you stand to your feet? We have a couple of people who'd love to pray for you. Ursula and Michael Casa. would you guys come on up? Uh, they're going to be available here at the front as we have every Sunday. If you need somebody just to pray for you, if you want them to call your name before God, they'll do that. If you just want to say, I don't want to share what it is, you tell them that. If you want to spill your heart to them, you can do that too. They'll, they'll take whatever you give and bless you in some prayer before you go home. Man, I'm so glad you were here today. Amen? Oh, my, oh, come on, be a little more enthusiastic. Weren't you glad you're here today? Yeah, yeah you had other options, that's for sure. We're glad you people were online with us today. Uh, what a great way to start a cold week. Uh, I hope it's warmed your heart, I really do. Uh, go love on somebody this week and live loved. You are dismissed, my friends.